This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 326, and we are recording a little early on April 14th. I'm Jen Northington. I'm here with a very special guest, Kelly Jensen, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome back, Kelly. Hello. I'm excited to be back. It's been a while. I was thinking, I was like, when yeah. was the last time I recorded with Kelly? It's been a while. Maybe two years? Is that, <laughs> does that sound right? That seems possible. Yeah, I don't know. You've been on and off so many podcasts. Tell the people where where you have been. Uh, yeah. So I did HeyYA for five years. And That's then right. <laughs> finally uh, passed that on and did all the books for, I think, three years. I am going back to all the books, though, on the fifth. Tuesday of each month, so like three or four times a year, and then mm-hmm. I'm in the rotation for all the backlist. So I, if you listen to this podcast and you listen to all the backlist, probably hear me twice this week. I think that's how nice. the schedule worked out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a surprise uh, combo. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to get into our picks. I loaded it up with your specialties today. <laughs> that's that's always a good time. Uh, but before we get into that, how does this show work? You might be wondering if you are new here. It is a personalized reading recommendation show, which means that you can send in your reading requests either via email, getbookedepicriot.com, or via the form that's in the bottom of the show notes over on the site for each episode. Uh, you can ask for a recommendation for yourself, for a family family member, a friend, a book club, a work thing, whatever. And we might answer it on the air. And if you have a time-sensitive request you're hoping to hear back by a specific date, please put time-sensitive in either the subject line of the email or the very first line of the form and the date you're hoping to hear back by. We will do our best. Uh, Let's see. Feedback. Oh, this cracked me up. So I was collecting feedback for the show and we had not one, not two, but three listeners all write in with the same exact feedback for Tina, who was asking for You've Got Mail-esque books. And all three of these listeners, Sophie, Ariel, and Elizabeth, recommended Spoiler Alert by Olivia Dade. So we had like a mind (laughs) meld situation going on. Which is delightful. So there you have it. A triple recommendation for Spoiler Alert by Olivia Date. if you love You've Got Mail. All right. So let's see. I'm going to read our first question, and then we'll do a sponsor break, and then we'll get into our recommendations. So our first question is from Zoe, who says, I recently got myself out of a pretty difficult, all-encompassing roller coaster of a long-term relationship that dominated most of my 20s. This year, I'm turning 30 and graduating from library school. So I would love any recommendations about starting a life and doing things that are right for me after not having done so for a while. 
I'm pretty solitary by nature, so I'm not really concerned about spending time by myself, but would love to read something about people getting in touch with their interests and values, developing a personal community, or just generally creating a life they enjoy. I'm open to pretty much any genre, fiction or nonfiction, and bonus points for any discussions of LBGTQ themes. I'm bi and non-binary. Uh, food, film, or music are all also things I'm looking to explore more. Some books I recently added to, to my TBR are The Queer Art of Failure by Jack Halberstam and How to Be a Person in the World by Heather Havrileski. All right, let us take our sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Credit Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, Kelly. So our request here is for books that will help you like move on from a not so great part of your life and create a life that you do enjoy. What do you have for Zoe? As soon as I saw this question, I was so excited because <laughs> I immediately thought of a book and initially it's going to sound like it doesn't fit, but it 100% fits. And that is <laughs> Joyful by Ingrid Fatel Lee. So I am a huge like self-improvement and development book fan, but find so much of what's said to be pretty repetitive or like mm. not especially creative, which is fine. Like, I sort of enjoy it because there's comfort in hearing the same thing over and over again. <laughs> but I, I like to at least go in and walk out with one thing to think about or act upon. And I find sometimes it's not necessarily the self-improvement stuff that does it, but it's a book that will take a deep dive on a 
particular subject. So in this one, I'm recommending Joyful, The Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness because it's a really fantastic read about finding joy in the everyday and how to infuse your days with just a little bit more joy. There's really nothing earth shattering here and yet it's a cozy, feel good meditation on the idea of joy alongside ideas for how you can implement a little bit more joy into your life. And it's just about the things that are outside us that bring us such joy inside rather than the kind of book that's like, if you, you know, cultivate it inside yourself, you'll be great, Mm. which, you know, is a thing and that's fine. But this is very much like you could just like stuff because you like stuff. And (laughs) this book really makes a great case for designing spaces that move you to joy regardless of how it might be aesthetically and why there's really great power in the psychology of design and color. So this book, after I finished reading it, I was like, you know what? I think I would have great joy if I painted my kitchen purple and my bathroom pink. So I did that. And it really and truly, like, it sounds silly, but it does. It, it makes a big difference. Like, you go into this kitchen and it's this, like, light purple color. And it's like, it brings just that little bit of joy every day, thinking like, okay, so it's not traditional. And yet, Mm. It makes me happy. And so that's why I recommend this book a lot. And I think it really fits with what you're looking for. Like, it's going to just give you something to meditate on with, like, things that bring you joy and why you should really lean into that joy. And that book is Joyful by Ingrid Patel Lee. I love that. That's great. (laughs) I think we could all use a little more joy these days. So, Mm -hmm. like, you know, who amongst us could not stand to find those things? Yeah. For sure. My pick also might sound a little sideways, but bear with me. It's a book I just read recently, and I'm a little bit obsessed with. And I, it really was the first thing when I read this question that I thought of. It's Light Years From Home by Mike Chen. I'm going to give two quick content warnings for dementia in a parent and then also loss of a parent. This is like on its face, a sci-fi novel about alien abduction. Um, so again, I know it sounds kind of random here, but what What is so interesting about this book is that it is told from three different siblings, grown-up siblings' perspectives on being locked into a dysfunctional family dynamic because of said alien abduction and like whether or not you believe that's what really happened and like also their views of each other as like from their childhoods and then how they can't let go of those views as they are grown-ups and like what they are struggling with personally and their complete inability to like move forward in their lives and then this thing happens that shakes them loose and sets them all to being like oh right like I have to live my life for me, which is what it kind of sounds like you're talking about, right? Like you've left a relationship, you've gone back to or you're finishing school and now you're trying to figure out like, yeah, what do I want my life to look like? And so I thought this book might be both cathartic and helpful in figuring out like, yeah, what does it look like as you move through that process? Like, what are the feelings? What are the vibes that these characters are going through? Like, does that feel familiar or not to me? And I'm so, the way that these characters are drawn on the page is so good. Like, you really feel from one chapter to the next, depending on whose POV I was in, I was like, yeah, they're wrong. And then the next one would be like, oh, no, she is wrong. And then I'd be like, no, wait. And I just really felt so pulled in by their various perspectives and then getting to see them, like, all come to a kind of 
next step that freed them from these locked in patterns was like amazing. So I feel like there's a lot to love in this book. If you are feeling have felt stuck and are trying to move forward, like that's what these characters are dealing with. And also aliens. Uh, So again, that's Light Years From Home by Mike Chen. Let's hit our next question. This is from Rachel. I just finished the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. I didn't expect to love it as much as I did. Even though it was suspenseful, I just felt cozy the whole time. I think I finally have a comfort series. I also love the romance subplot with David and Stevie. Can you recommend other cozy reads similar to this series? I prefer fiction. It can be YA or adult. Bonus points if it's a series, but standalones are welcome too. What do you got? All right. So I picked a YA for you that I really love. It's the start of a series, The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu. Uh, Content warnings include harm to children and racist policing. This is a really cool series that feels like a little bit dystopian, except probably also not that dystopian, actually. Um, It takes place in a contemporary sort of modern Edinburgh, Scotland, where magic is real. And Ropa is a young Black woman who has dropped out of school, and her family has this tradition of being able to talk to ghosts, so this is how she makes a living. People pay her to carry messages back and forth to their deceased loved ones. And she has, like, regular clients who are, like, constantly chatting with, like, I need my auntie's recipe for this. Like, go find her and, like, get me this recipe kind. Like, it can be very mundane. It can be very emotional. It just kind of depends. But then she finds out that somebody is harming and kidnapping children. And she, this, like, deceased mother is, like, coming, like, following her around being like, you have to help my kid. You have to help my kid. And so she gets sucked into this whole magic murder situation. And I picked it for this because, you know, clearly you enjoy the suspense and also you want it to have that like emotional coziness, I think is what it it says to me. And I felt that from this book, there's like a lot of moments where the characters are caring for each other that feel really lovely. There is not as much romance yet, but I have the feeling that as this series develops, there will be more of that. That's my guess. Um, And I just really loved it. And it feels very similar in vibe to me to the Truly Devious series. So again, that is The Library of the Dead by T.L. Huchu. I am going to recommend the Charlotte Holmes series by Brittany Cavallaro. And permit me to talk about a series I have not read, but no will scratch (laughs) the itch of... Anybody who loves the Truly Devious series, it starts with the book, A Study in Charlotte, and the story follows Jamie Watson, who gets a rugby scholarship to attend this prestigious Sherrington prep school. Uh, She's not especially excited to start, though, because it's an hour away from the father from whom she's estranged, and because of the school's famous student, Charlotte Holmes, who is the great-great-great-granddaughter of Sherlock. Charlotte is not unlike him either. She enjoys sleuthing and she's got a little bit of a temper. But Jamie decides she's going to go to the school and immediately her and Charlotte develop this tense relationship. So when a student at the school dies under mysterious circumstances, the girls are framed for the murder and now 
are determined to team up and find out the true criminal. There are four books in this series, and they check all the truly devious boxes of prep school, murder mystery, and also bonus duo of teen girls who have a heck of a relationship. It's not necessarily the romance that is uh, present in Truly Devious, but if you consider friendship, enemyship, frenemyship, a sort of (laughs) romance, then you're going to get that in here. And that's the Charlotte Holmes series by Brittany Cavallaro, starting with A Study in Charlotte. Nice. That is a good point. There's like that intensity of emotion, even if it's not Mm -hmm. romantic. Definitely scratches that itch. Yeah, I like it. All right. Our next question is from Anna. Oh, Anna, this question was a doozy. Okay. (laughs) Anna says, I was wondering if you knew of any talking animal stories, e.g. Redwall or the tale of Despero, that didn't have European animals or a Western setting. I'm mainly finding folk tales which are good, but not quite I'm looking for, would like a longer overarching plot. Middle grade YA adults are all fine, open to either epic fantasy like Redwall or more fairy tale esque like Despero. Any level of danger or villainy is fine so long as there is a happy ending. Uh, Kelly, <laughs> we, we both had to, to look for help on this one. So. Yeah. So I am going to start off with the disclaimer that I hit most of the boxes on this one, but not all of them. And my pick is The Cat Who Saved Books by Sosuke Natsukawa, translated by Louise Heal Kawai. And the thing that I don't capture of your request is that it's not a non-Western animal, but I am going to have Jen, if she's willing to, link to an article that just went up on BookRite about the way cats in Japanese literature have a really, like, magical place. And so it... It kind of might still check that box if you think about the way that cats are represented in Japanese literature. So this title plays with that, and it follows Rintaro, a high school student who loves books and has inherited this secondhand bookshop from his grandfather. But he's on the verge of closing it, and he's he's ready to do that, ready to give it up, until this cat named Tiger saunters into the bookstore and demands help in saving all the books. This is a fun and magical book-loving story about the boy and the cat who traverse a series of mazes and puzzles to save all the books throughout, like, everywhere. I personally am not a huge fan of books about books, and especially books about saving books. Like, it's a little too on the nose for me, but this one has appealed to me for a long time because of the cat element, and also because it's got magic and mystery in it as well. And that Mm. is The Cat Who Saved Books by Sosuke Natsukawa, translated by Luis Heel Kawaii. What do you got? Well, right. So I was like very complicated because I also kept running into more like mytho, like, you know, fably, mythologically ones, which you did not want. You wanted like Mm -hmm. an overarching plot situation. But happily, one of the contributors mentioned Beastars by Paru Itagaki to me, which is a manga series that now I am two volumes in. It is all your fault. (laughs) And I'm like a little bit like I can't look, I can't stop reading it. It's extremely readable. It is really interesting. It's about a high school. It's theoretically a high school drama where there are herbivores and carnivores going to school together. So they're like uh, sort of humanoid animals. They wear uniforms like 
the girls have boobs, like, even though it's a rabbit, you're like, okay, sure, like, why not? (laughs) And they are dealing with a lot of, like, classic high school issues, you know, rivalries and, you know, sexuality and being awkward socially and trying to deal with all of these things. They're also dealing with, like, having animal urges. So the herbivores don't necessarily like trust the carnivores and the carnivores like are not allowed to eat meat um, and have to spend, you know, everybody has to spend an hour in what they call biology class, which is actually an hour spent in a room that is meant to mimic the, the like wild nature, wild natural setting that they would otherwise be in, except that they're in high school. So it's like it's comp- it's hashtag complicated. And the story opens with a herbivore being murdered by a carnivore at the school and nobody knows who did it. So everybody's very on edge and there's like a drama club subplot with this very intense like we have to put on this play to bring everybody together and also like who's going to be the star and every student has their own secrets and their own complicated feelings about each other and it is just really fascinating. I am, like I said, two volumes in. There are 20 volumes in it. It is concluded. I did not spoil myself for the ending because you said you wanted a happy ending. And like, this is the thing about manga is it goes on for so long. Like, it's hard to be like, okay, well, it was the ending happy. Um, But I have heard it is a very satisfying ending. So, and I think, again, if you want, like, animals interacting with each other like people, which is a defining trait of Redwall and Despero, then this absolutely fits the bill. It is sort of, I mean, high school is like a sort of global phenomenon. So I don't know that it technically is as non-Western as you want, but here we are. We tried. We tried really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So again, my pick was Beastars by Paru Itagaki. Just to like add on to that, part of me wonders Mm. if The reason it's so challenging to find books like this is that there's so few books in translation. Yes, I think that's probably right. You know, a lot of the stories that do get translated are ones that are, you know, quote unquote, going to reach the most readers in the U.S. Mm. And so, you know, they tend to be like, I don't want to say popular lit because I can't, I I don't know. But, you know, if you think about the sorts of books that like get translated from English to other languages, they tend to be tend to be big titles. So mm. something to chew on. <laughs> yeah. So our next question comes from Erica, who writes, Hello, I teach middle schoolers. Great intro. I'm looking for a new <laughs> book for a group read for a class that is comprised of about a dozen sixth to eighth grade boys who have good decoding skills, but struggle with comprehension skills because they're all on the autism spectrum. I loop with these guys year to year, so I've had some of them in the past, and then a few are new each year. They do a lot of independent choice reading as part of the class, but I like having a few group reads because it gives us some common experiences as we learn about reading strategies, literary devices, and text features. Books they have loved are Hatchet and Anything by Gordon Corman and Alan Gratz. They love graphic novels as well. They don't love books with characters on the autism spectrum. We've had great discussions about this. I'm looking for a book with diversity that will be engaging and fun, but not an overly complex plot since comprehension is a challenge. Bonus points for something with great audio or film version that I could use to support their understanding. What do you got, Jen? 
Well, I went straight to graphic novels because I have one that I think would be really fun to do with this age group, and I think it fits all of your bills. It is Black Heroes of the Wild West by James Otis Smith. This is really fun because it is like a solid Western, but it is highlighting these actual Black heroes from the West that we just don't hear about. Uh, And so they have put together, it's sort of like... I guess it's like a story collection, technically. Um, There are three different, you know, heroes in question. Mary Fields, who became Stagecoach Mary, who thanks to this graphic novel, I like had to learn everything about. (laughs) And then uh, Bass Reeves, who was the first black deputy U.S. Marshal west of the Mississippi and like brought in outlaws and, you know, was like famous for being one of the best lawmen in the territory. Um, And then Bob Lemons, who was a horse trainer and was like so good with horses that, you know, the wild horses were like, yes, come hang out with us. You're fine. We love you. So they're really interesting people and the art is really lovely. And I think, again, these are stories that like are appealing because they're sort of action adventure stories. Um, It is people you don't normally hear about in history. It's all true history. So you can do sort of spinoff research if they get excited about it and want to learn more. And yeah, I just I just think this would be a great classroom edition. So again, that is Black Heroes of the the Wild West by James Otis Smith. So my pick is The Forgotten Girl by India Hill Brown. And this is one of my favorite middle grade books. And I think a story that would make for such a great read aloud is it's part adventure, part historical fiction, and part horror. So on a cold night, 11-year-old Iris and her best friend Daniel go out into the woods to play in the snow. Seems pretty normal. But as they're making snow angels, they stumble upon the grave of somebody named Avery Moore. That night and for nights after, weird things start happening. And Iris is visited by a shadowy figure in the clearings where her and Daniel had been playing. Iris is now obsessed with trying to figure out what's going on. And... A class assignment about local history sends her down this path of learning about their town's black cemetery and the history of segregation, even in death. But like as eager as she and Daniel are to help restore Avery's grave and give her a really proper send off, Avery is not done with them. Uh, She is going to keep having things to share with them. Uh, It's a really fun book. It's a horror book. And the kind of horror that gives you just enough chills that like it's not frightening, but it, you know, it it keeps you engaged because of that. Um, And also it's really informative. It, It offers a whole lot of interesting history about segregation and the lost black cemeteries that are throughout the country, which like Jen had talked about, you know, giving you opportunities to like do more research. This Mm. would do the same thing. And bonus, like the school project they're working on is about local history. So there's a lot of interesting tie-ins for classroom activities or just discussion, like cool bits of history or maybe not even cool bits of history, like, you know, not great parts of history of whatever (laughs) community you're in. Uncool history. Plus ghosts, (laughs) like... (laughs) <laughs> it's it's got it all that's the forgotten girl by india hill brown and it does have an audiobook edition nice yeah all right let us take another quick sponsor break today's episode is brought to you by gallery books 
So Anna Green thought she was marrying Liam West for access to subsidized family housing while at UCLA, which is an interesting reason to marry someone, but you know, in this economy. So anyway, she signed divorce papers when the graduation caps were tossed and she thought she was done. At She wasn't. Three years later, Anna is a starving artist living paycheck to paycheck while West is a Stanford professor. Now, he is part of a conglomerate. His family owns this mega grocery store chain. He's not interested in working for them, but he is interested in those greenbacks, honey, that come in the form of a $100 million inheritance. To get it, he has to be married for five years. That's where our girl Anna comes back into play. So the two will fake a marriage, but as he gets to know her and gets to appreciate the feisty, foul mouth, paint splattered girl that she is, he'll begin to wonder if the money is worth the love of his life. Pick up The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren to find out if it is. And thanks again to Gallery Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Liz, who says, I work in a profession with a lot of older men in leadership positions, like all professions, it seems, really, (laughs) though the younger generation now starting has many more women. I recently took on a leadership position, and the good old boy club I now have to deal with sometimes makes me want to scream. I am ashamed to say I haven't done a lot of feminist reading, but my recent experiences have made me realize I need to correct this error. I also want to build a library for my daughter to use as she gets older. I would love any recommendations regarding where to start and also what every good feminist library should include. So yeah, Liz, this is, please don't like, you don't have to be ashamed. It's okay. You're here now. Like we welcome you. (laughs) And yeah, that sounds really frustrating. Mm -hmm. Kelly, what do you have for, you know, feminist libraries slash dealing with good old boy clubs? Yeah. My pick is Brave Not Perfect by Reshma Sejani. And I read this, reread this book last year. And while some of it uh, doesn't hold up as much as it did on publication, like just times change. Um, and this book mm. came out in 2019, I think. So, I mean, 2018, 2019, something like that. So like five years, you know, uh, culturally, some things have shifted. Uh, but it's still a super solid book about women in leadership. And when I get the chance, I am really looking forward to reading the author's second book, which also just came out this spring. Mm. But Brave Not Perfect is a personal development slash self-help slash growth book about the ways men and women are cued to behave differently. So 
women um, so frequently are encouraged to be perfect, and when they can't do something perfectly, that they shouldn't even bother trying, which leads to not necessarily trying new things or developing their bravery muscle. So, so Johnny offers up some of the ways that bravery can be practiced and integrated and how to break away from some of these preconceived ideas of perfection. It's a short book. It's succinct and, like, is one of those rare, to me, self-help books that feels like it deserves to be a book rather than just, like, a TED Talk. It yeah. offers some actionable steps and insights and tons of interesting science and social science research. The voice is really engaging and encouraging, and it was a reminder not to stay quiet in instances where speaking up or out would be of tremendous value. I think a lot about this concept I learned about the difference between aggression and assertiveness. And like, mm. excuse me while I go on this tangent, because this is like, um, <laughs> it just like it, it made it make so much sense to me. Like you, you hear women being aggressive when they're trying to be assertive, and you start to get this idea in your head of like, what these things mean, and like, where you speak up or out and how that sort of frames you as a person and your behavior. And so, okay, if you think about standing in a line, like you're in a line for a, I don't know, a book that you want to pick up at the library. I don't know. Um, but you're in this line and somebody cuts the line and you speak up and you say, hey, you're cutting. You know, it would be easy for people to say that you are being aggressive by calling this person out, but actually you're being assertive by standing up for all yourself as well as all the people who've just had the line cut versus the person who did the cutting, who is the aggressor in the situation. Mm -hmm. And so like that little illustration is something that like this book did a good job of also like reiterating to me, like when you speak up, you're not being aggressive, um, especially if it's a an instance where like your voice needs to be heard or where like you're in a power dynamic where, you know, mm. too easily it'd be quiet. Like it'd be easier to be quiet. And this was a great book that was like, no, you need, you need to be the assertive one because you can be the assertive one. Like you're not the aggressor in those situations. So anyway, tangent aside, um, <laughs> that's my recommendation for Brave Not Perfect by Reshma Sejani. Yeah. Well, listen, we're all about tangents here. <laughs> like famously all about tangents, I think. And I, I co-sign. We read this as part of like a mini work book club, I want to mm -hmm. say last year. And I really got a lot out of it, although I agree some of it has not aged that well. And mm -hmm. I would love to see an updated version of this that takes into account more of these like concerns about gender and mm -hmm. toxic masculinity and all of those things. But it is it does have really helpful stuff in it. So I, I will co-sign. That recommendation. Yeah, I was gonna say it's super skimmable too. So like you it get to is. one of those parts that you're like, eh, like just skip it. You're not gonna miss yeah. anything. Yeah, it's fine. The best part, honestly, is the part in the back that has like this breakdown of how to develop your bravery muscle, like very actionable and implementable. So there's some there's some really good nuggets in there. Uh let's see. Oh yeah, my pick. Right, I have to talk about a pick. <laughs> <laughs> this is also a book we read, like Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, this is not a new one. Forget, long-time book listeners will recognize uh, <laughs> Drop the Ball by Tiffany Dufu because, yeah, this book, man, it really did shift a lot of things about how I viewed my role at work and also all of the baggage that I was bringing to work, which I think is really important for women and, you know, other marginalized genders in the workplace. This book is very specifically about 
being a female in both a heterosexual marriage and like in a traditionally male space. So Tiffany Dufu is a black woman who, when she returned to work uh, after taking maternity leave, found herself just completely overwhelmed both as a parent and as like a leader at her job. She just was she I mean, there's literally an anecdote about crying in the bathroom (laughs) while trying to pump. So like it's it's a whole vibe. And she starts looking at like all of the ways in which she feels, again, perfection, like she has to do everything all the time forever because it has to, so it has, quote unquote, has to get done. And so therefore she has to be the one to do it. And it really starts zeroing in on all of the ways that we take on more than A, we need to, B, more than we should, B, more than we can deliver. And then how do we start to drop these balls? Like, how do we stop doing all of these things all the time? And what do we actually want and need to do? Like, what are our values? What are our goals? How can we do things that get us closer? to those and how can we feel good about letting go of these tasks because I know something that I've struggled with especially like as my role has shifted over the years it's like well but like it needs everything's gonna fall apart if these things don't get done in this exact way and like that's just not true it turns out (laughs) it's just not true that's my anxiety talking that's not reality or that's like the training I've had by society that's not reality so learning to differentiate between like what is cultural and societal baggage what is stress and anxiety baggage and what is actually useful for you to be spending your time on which are not things that women I think are regularly talk to do like I think a lot of women experience ending up doing all kinds of things at work because nobody else volunteers to do them and like or they're just assumed that they're going to be the one who does them and this book is fantastic for starting to shed those expectations and really zero in on what you want to be doing as a leader as a person in a relationship as a parent if that's a thing you want to be so yeah again that's drop the ball by tiffany dufu seconding that one as well oh so good I really, I really need to reread it now that, like, mm. it's been, what, four years, three years, something yeah. like that. And, like, my life is very different now. Right. <laughs> so next question comes from Steph, who writes, I need a slump buster. I've been thinking about what some of my all-time favorites have in common, and these are some of the qualities that I've noticed. Highly sensory descriptions of creatives, artists doing their things. It doesn't matter what type of art or if it's central to the story. For example, I love the paper art in The Time Traveler's Wife and the poetry and art in White Oleander. Someone really putting in the creative craftsmanship work and or detailed descriptions of the process, not just automatically creating a masterpiece. So examples, Daisy Jones and the Six, the songwriting portion, the Night Circus, and the animators. They also mention enjoying literary fiction chunksters i realized i read a book write article 50 must read books of more than 500 pages that most of my favorite reads are really long i like when the author has time to write detailed evocative sentences it could be either fiction or nonfiction. i like the learning curve elements of books like hammerhead or the electric woman any time period bonus points for female characters and a setting outside of the western world please no washed up artist cheats on wife plot points (laughs) Thank you for all the inspired reading you brought into my life. What do you have, Jen? 
Well, I have a newly published book from this year, so I'm pretty sure you may not have gotten to it yet, that I am in love with. And it's not over 500 pages. I will say it's 400 pages, so I got close. It's The Cartographers by Pung Shepard. And this book, y'all, it is like... It has so many things that people are always looking for. It's dark academia. It is um, fabulism. Like it's it's our world plus a little bit of you know magic or surrealism. It is beautifully written. It is has like a great female character. Has a great romantic subplot. Like it's about librarians. A bunch of it takes place in the New York Public Library. It's got a book inside of a book. Like what doesn't this book have in terms of reader catnip? Like nothing. It doesn't have. It has everything. It's also a little bit of a thriller. Like it's got it's got all of the things. So the main character, Nell, is obsessed with cartography. It's her whole life. Her parents are cartographers. Like her father is famously this legend in the field who works for NYPL and has been like an institution there and in the field of cartography. Um, and so the the art and the craft part that you're looking for, that is the art and the craft of cartography is what everybody is really, really into in this book. And it is beautifully written about. There's a huge rift between Nell and her father. She, she was fired by him over what she can considers basically a nothing thing that happened and she still doesn't understand why her career is washed up nobody will hire her because he's such a big deal so she's not doing what she loves anymore and then he is found dead in his office it's a little bit of like a locked room murder mystery situation Um, and then there's this map that is like maybe out of the ordinary and everybody's trying to get it and it's worth a lot of money but it doesn't make any sense why it's worth a lot of money and then there's a secret about her her family's past that she doesn't know and she starts to find out there's a second chance romance subplot there's so much good stuff in here um and i just think you're gonna love it so again that's the cartographers by pung shepherd my pick is oh beautiful by jung young and i went back and forth on two books to recommend Mm. and i will say that neither of them hit all of your wish list but (laughs) i think would satisfy them completely. So the first book is uh, one I'm not going to talk about, and that is Hell of a Book by Jason Mott. You can just put that on your shelf to check out. Um, and I'm only not talking about that one because it's gotten a ton of acclaim, and I will just say that well-deserved. So the one I am going to talk about is Oh Beautiful, and it kind of fell under the radar. It came out late last year, but it hits your artists doing their thing piece as well as the literary novel part. But it's not a particularly like big book. It's tightly written, but it's got all the elements that you find in those giant books. So story follows Eleanor, who has this major assignment from a former teacher and mentor in New York. She is going to North Dakota, where oil has brought a boom in the region, and she is going to write a story. So Eleanor is going, she was born and raised in North Dakota. So it's a, at once it's a homecoming, and it's also a homegoing story where she wrestles with living as a biracial Chinese child in North Dakota, how her mother fleeing her father impacted her, and the ways in which her sister's decision to stay in their small town and raise a family both connects with and contradicts her experiences when she leaves to start a career in modeling and then returns to college in her 40s to do journalism. So overall, this is a book about misogyny and racism, but a book about feminism and what it means to be a true ally to someone. Uh, what Eleanor thinks her story will be, which 
she thinks is going to be guided by the insight and notes of her white mentor turns into something completely different as she starts to unravel this story about a missing white girl. Uh, the story made the Earl Town take on a whole new feel to her, and she really only gets into it when she visits one of the Native reservations nearby. In theory, it's just another missing white girl story, and the stories of those who've gone missing for other reasons, whose lives have been desecrated because of their skin color or heritage, and maybe don't have the opportunity to just disappear the same way a white woman can. It's also possible that missing women sometimes want to go missing. It's a really fascinating story. There are several, several layers here to dig into, um, but it's tightly written and has super nuanced characters and really shows you what goes into a journalist like doing their thing figuring out how to mm. tell the story and wrestling too with like the personal experiences you know reading this i loved that she thought she knew what the assignment was she was giving the assignment she's trying to write to the assignment but then realizes there's a far more interesting and personal story to tell here and that story cares less about like the burly dudes who have gone and made all this money in this oil town and more about like how come the stories of native women who go missing aren't the ones being told. Just super fascinating how how deep this one goes um, on a personal and a like broad scale level. And that is Oh Beautiful by Jung Yun. That's on my TBR. I do want to pick that up. Oh, so, so good. So good. I have to bump it up now. <laughs> Ooh, all right. Our last question is from Passant, who says, My best friend recently started studying the science and symbolism of colors. She picked out some articles, informative books, essays, and so on. She's having a time, though, finding fictional books that involve this topic. She asked me for suggestions, and I told her about Monday's Not Coming, because the main character links things to colors very often in that book. But she wants more recommendations. She mostly reads literary fiction, magical realism, <laughs> and weird stuff. <laughs> She's fine with mysteries or sci-fi, but she doesn't really enjoy romance. Do you have any suggestions? I love, I love this question. Yeah, me too. It's so good. I love this question. And it was so hard. Um, oh, so hard. Yes. Because, because someone, and I'm going to explain this in a second, someone did not write good reviews of the book that she read and said that she just loves so much that she's going to mm. recommend that <laughs> she would be me. So I'm recommending The Astonishing Color of Actor by Emily XR Pan. Trigger warning, death by suicide in this one. So um, that's a big thread throughout the story. But talking about a book about color and being unable to remember the ways color plays into the book is super helpful. Like I, I will say that. And like, even in the review I wrote myself, I was like the use of color exclamation mark, but like no explanation of what that was. <laughs> so, um, you'll just have to trust me that this is one that does an awesome job with magical realism and fabulism and uses color and creatures to tell this just moving story about grief and family and love. So Lee, who is biracial, is traveling to Taiwan to meet her maternal grandparents for the first time. She is doing this in the wake of her mother's death by suicide, and Lee is convinced that when her mother died, she turned into a bird. So as Lee gets to know her grandparents and her family's history, she seeks out her mother in the form of a bird. And it's the story of ghosts and family secrets, as well as mental illness and art and just this beautifully written piece of work and 
Again, just like imbued with color, and I wish I can give you more specifics than that. But trust that color plays a big role, particularly um, if Monday's not coming. Had hit those boxes, this will too, with the additional level of that magical realism and fabulism element. And that is The Astonishing Color of After by Emily XR Pan. Yeah, I had a really hard time with this question and also literally just changed my pick because I somehow missed <laughs> that you wanted fiction and nonfiction. You know what's funny? I'm, I'm looking at the title that you just switched to and yes. that was one on my list because <laughs> what you're going to talk about with the book is the thing that yeah. like the angle I almost went in on. Well, right. It's like, it, yeah. So this is my last minute like, oh, whoops, I misread <laughs> this question pick. But I, I do stand by. I mean, it's been a, a hot minute since I read this book, I will mm-hmm. say. Um, but I really loved it when I read it. It is A Mango Shaped Space by Wendy Mass and uh, Content Warning for Death of a Pet. This is a book about a girl with synesthesia. So like mm-hmm. color is baked into everything. Like she experiences colors and textures with, uh, you know, words and letters like this. She, this is what she sees when she hears and, you know, reads and all of these things. And so uh, she like she loves to paint. She's really good at memorizing things because they have very specific colors. But she also can be overstimulated. Like if there's too much noise, she gets, you know, overwhelmed by all of the colors and shapes that she sees. Um, other things are difficult for her as well because of just the way the world works, like is not designed to help somebody with this kind of sensory condition navigate it. Um, and then she also has some pretty classic like teenager issues on top of that. You know, dealing with parents, dealing with change and grief and all of these different things. So I just remember really loving the way that things were described in this book. And I was very attached to Mia, the main character. Like, I really felt for her and I felt... Uh, like I was like, oh, to- like tossed back into my own teenage years in in a lot of ways, although obviously I do not share synesthesia. But I just really I do remember really loving it. So again, that's a mango shaped space by Wendy Mass. And yeah, synesthesia was kind of the obvious go to here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, I looked up a whole bunch of those books. And it was like, okay, I could talk about this, this, this or this. And then I was like, wait, um, I had asked the contributors for yeah. fiction recommendations. I, that was the thing that was tripping right. me up with this question was the fiction element. I'm like, I've got a billion nonfiction yes. titles. Yes. But anyway, somebody reminded me about Astonishing Color of After and I went and read my review and I was like, Kelly, why didn't you say more about the color <laughs> um, other than color is important? But I mean, it is literally in the title. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But I, I, I mean, I sign on a mango shaped space too. I really like that one when I read it. Like, yeah, ooh, ten, fifteen years ago at this point. But I know, yeah. right? It was, it was. <laughs> it's been a real minute. It's been a real minute. Um, all right. Well, that was our show, <laughs> Kelly. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was fun. Yay. Uh, Thanks also, as always, to our very excellent audio editor, Jen Zink, and to you all for listening and sending in feedback and your questions. We love that. If you would like even more book recommendations, you can get those at bookriot.com. You can find our other podcasts, including all the books that Kelly is now going to be on, at bookriot.com slash listen. Uh, You could leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you were so inclined, it does help other people to find the show and thanks to our sponsors who make the show possible uh kelly if people would like to hear more about your life and books taste etc where should they go 
Uh, I am on Instagram at Hey Kelly Jensen. Excellent. And you can sort of find me on Twitter and Tumblr at Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L, or on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. I don't have a ton of energy for social media right now, but I'm there every now and then. And we will talk to you next time. Bye.